Hello, Dental Online Trainers, Dr. Dennis Hartley, back with you again for another ShareCast episode. Well, actually, we're giving our team at DOT a little summer break, so we're revisiting one of our favorite episodes. That's our interview with Grace Young, founder of Mommy Dentist and Business. Now, Grace is a pediatric dentist that happened to be on a business trip with her husband, who he happens to be an attorney. Now, Grace noticed how the attorneys were connecting and networking. And she recognized that there was a need for this in the dental place also. She recognized that, you know what, there's these Facebook groups that were already existing. But what she realized that there were people like her, moms who are also business owners, owners of their dental practices. And she felt like there was not a great opportunity to be able to get questions answered in these forums that were already available. So Grace founded Mommy Dentist and Business, MDIB, as a gateway for other mom dentists to connect to share their struggles, to get advice on everything from managing childcare to managing their dental team. And, you know, perhaps even make some new friends along the way. So listen, kick back and relax and enjoy part one of our conversation, our encore episode with Dr. Grace Young. Dental Online Trainers, Dr. Dennis Hartley, back with you again with another splendid interview today that I know you're just going to love. And I am super excited to spend some time getting to know better a person I met several years ago, pre-COVID. This is Dr. Grace Yum, who was practicing dentistry in my community in Glenview, Illinois. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Grace. And uh, Grace, you can sort of correct me where I where I err. Uh, she grew up in the sort of the North Shore suburbs in of, in Glenview, right? You grew up yes. in Glenview. Which which high school did you go to? GBS. That sounds for Glenbrook South Titans right. all the way. See, that's how they are there. They're either GBN or GBS, and I just wanted to get your reaction. That's usually how they respond. So that's awesome. Um, she went to Northwestern for undergrad, right? Yes. Yep. And she got a degree in speech. Is that right? In like communication speech? Yes. Communications. School yeah. speech. Yeah. And you know, Northwestern's like killer for that. I mean, that's journalism and yes. speech. I mean, uh, that was, know. that was my direction. That was my hope to be a journalist. Uh, and here you are, maybe, maybe circling back around. Uh, after Northwestern, then you went down to University of Maryland. You're a Terrapin dentist. So yes. you did uh, the home of the, the, the Maryland Bridge. The Maryland Bridge and the first dental museum in the world and also the first dental school in the world. Ah, there we go. All right. I went to Michigan and we, we had a pretty cool museum, but I don't know that it was, uh, you know, there's only so much stuff you can fancy over old <laughs> dentistry. So then after your uh, dental school experience, you went back up to Chicago and you did your pediatric training at Children's Memorial. Well, what did they call it back then? Was it Children's Memorial um, yes, it was Children's Memorial Hospital, which part of Northwestern, now, part of Northwestern under the Northwestern umbrella, and it is now called Lurie's and uh, Robert, okay. you know, Lurie Children's Hospital. They since have taken it over, and the campus is now fully downtown. Before it was located in Lincoln Park, Chicago. right? Yeah, now they got their fancy new building and stuff. Yes, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. So I have a, a consultant I used to work with, uh, Mark Cooper. He used to say that dogs were angels with fur. And I have always said that pediatric dentists are angels with a dental drill. <laughs> because, and I say this, I, I say this for, 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 our, for our viewers, listeners, um, 
I used to practice with a pediatric dentist, someone that Grace knows, one of someone who trained her, Dr. Nancy Adjawi. And yes. I, I tell you, there, there, there's a few, there's a few memories I have of pain in my life. And these are like things that you like, just come back to you, right? I think about it and I can feel the pain immediately. Oh, one boy. was I was skiing out in uh, Beaver Creek and I hit a, hit an edge and I did the Superman and I broke my humerus. And I remember that immediately. I was playing tennis with a buddy on these old tennis courts and uh, the tennis ball hit a crack and deviated in a direction that dropped me to my knees. And that aye, I remember. Aye. And the third is I remember being bit by a kid when I was doing my residency at Mount Sinai Hospital. And I tell you, I still feel this to today. I haven't gotten over that feeling. And uh, so God bless you and oh, all pediatric well, dentists out there. You, you are. Angry. I think that's, that's a rite of passage to have been bitten once. <laughs> yeah, I took that passage out. I don't need that anymore. That's enough. Once is enough for me. I, I want to talk about how you got into all that stuff, but just sort of to finish up on your background, after you finished up with your pediatric rotation, you started a couple of practices in the Chicago area, one in Glenview and yeah. then one in, um, it wasn't Lincoln Park. Where was your other practice? Logan Square? Uh, Lakeview area near Wrigleyville. Okay, gotcha. Yes. And you have since uh, sold off those practices, but uh, about four or five years ago, you started what's called Mommy's Dentist in Business, um, which is Correct. which is really, really cool, really fascinating. And I want to talk about how you got into that, but I want to talk a little bit more about your background, how you got into dentistry. A lot of things that I like to learn about is how people got into dentistry. And the stories are always so fascinating, Grace. I tell you, I mean, it is really interesting. Talk to, I was talking to Jeff Rouse a bit back on our, our Surecast and how he ended up in dentistry was just complete happenstance. And everyone I talked to, they have a very unique paths, I think, getting in. So anything that I didn't, uh, that I didn't talk about in your sort of dental pathway that you wanted to, to add? It's sort of like a eulogy, only the thing is you get to stand up and correct <laughs> people, right? Like in a eulogy, you're not going to stand up and correct people. Here you can say, well, right. you're close, but you missed on that. Anything that Aww. I missed? Well, my journey is interesting and unique in that it was more family related and my family dentist who he has since retired Dr. Sam Yoon he was best friends with my dad and he encouraged me to go into dentistry mm. while I was at Northwestern his kids are also in dentistry. One's an orthodontist and the other is a periodontist. You may know one of his children, do, Dr. Yeah, Cecile Yoon-Tarley. Yeah, yeah, sure. mm -hmm, yeah, for sure. So Cecile was my very, very first mentor. Ah. And my dad said, you know, Cecile is now practicing as an associate in other practices. She needs an assistant. You are now her assistant. Oh, so interesting. I went everywhere Cecile went, basically. So she worked in different offices. And even though I was in undergrad, right. you know, I had to go help her because she's like my older sister. Uh -huh. So that's how I was introduced really hands-on. I mean, my only exposure then was just to see her dad for cleanings and villains. Sure. When I went with her, I knew nothing. She had to right. train me from scratch. And she was a young new dentist as well. She didn't know anything. Right. So <laughs> everywhere I went, you know, the assistants, they are trained me then. Sure. Yeah. And it developed into something more. While I was an undergrad at Northwestern, she ended up working for, and the world is so small, Dr. Fippinger and Dr. Simone. Sure. Of course. Yeah. And Dr. Dr. Simone was just in my chair two days ago. 
Oh, really? So, Doctor. Yes. So, I also worked for Doctor Simone. So, Cecile oh. brought me into that practice as her orthodontic assistant. Oh, but then because I was on campus, it's in Evanston, so I was sure. right there. You know, right. Church Street is right there. I could walk. And they were short-staffed. And of course they had their main assistants, but they sure. wanted me to help in the pedo wing because they had it like pedo and ortho separate wings. Mm-hmm. And I gladly, you know, worked over there. But if for those who you listeners who are not in the dentistry world, you know that ortho is completely different. A set of, you know, set of instruments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and They're everything. Not even- you know, Grace, they're not even dentists. Let's be <laughs> We about joke that. about that, right? I'm like, do you even know how to give anesthetic? <laughs> so, and, and, and they're like, no, and we're glad we don't have to do that. Right, right, right. I'm like, you don't even extract teeth. So just joking like, to all your orthodontists out there. Right, right, right. We love you. We love you. We love you. But it's just kidding. So, anyhow, I was introduced to pediatric dentistry through that journey. And they were saying, you are good with your hands. You should consider dental school. And I said, I am not good at science. I am here. Like my major is communications. I want to be on the news. I want to yeah. be a news anchor. So, so take me back. So you're, you're an undergrad. You had no interest in going to dentistry. You're looking at going into communications. and right. news. So what year were you when you started assisting Dr. Dr. Now you and Tarly? I think I was a sophomore. All right, so you're taking you're taking a whole different curriculum than that would set you on pace for dentistry, right? Completely, taking- completely different. But Cecile and some of the other doctors who I worked with, and at the time, I also who was an associate there was Dr. Ray Girado, well, sure. who is the clinical director of the program at Lurie's, mm-hmm. and I worked for him as a chairside assistant on Saturdays, and that's how I got to know him, and he trained me, but he wasn't the director at the time. This okay. was, mm-hmm. you know, he was not at Lurie's. And so Cecile kept saying, just take the basic prereqs for dental school because you never know. You just don't know. And she's That's like, and advice. I would hate, you know, she's like, you're in school. Just take some of the courses. I would hate for you to change your mind and want to go to dental school, but then you've already graduated. Right. And now you have to do all that again. So being her younger sister, I, I listened to what she told me. And I took good some for of the you. I never listened to my older brothers. So and that's very good of you. I, I mean, I, I took what she said. I looked up to her, you know, and, and so sure. I was like, okay, well, it doesn't hurt. But I really quickly realized that science for me, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something that I just automatically got A's in. You know, sure. I, mm-hmm. I really had to study to even get a like a B. So I took the DAT and my parents encouraged and supported me. And they were just like, you know, just do the best you can. And if it doesn't work, you know, if, if you, it's a backup. If journalism doesn't work Dentistry is your backup plan. Dentistry is your backup plan. And I was like, oh, that's a weird way to think about it, but okay. So that was my backup plan to go to dental school. And so I wasn't that student that was cutthroat or trying to get an A in everything or trying to get the high score on the DAT. So I just did the best that I could, really. And I took a gap year. So after I graduated, I worked in consulting for a consultant in Evanston. And then I was I was missing dentistry because I stopped assisting. I stopped doing all of that. And I said, you know, I really miss it. I miss being chairside. And I'm, I miss all the different things that I did because they had me. I worked for uh, Dr. Barry Walvert at one time. Sure, I know Barry for sure. Yeah, I, I worked for Dr. Jan Rizdalski. No, Jan. Do- talk about Jan. So, I mean, I learned so much and I, I thought, gosh, I really miss it. And they all thought I was very good with children. 
especially the children with special needs. Like when a uh, child with special needs came in, they were looking for me. Well, let me to, back up for a second, Grace, before you get into that, because I think that's really interesting. And for all those who aren't in the Chicago community, sorry for all these dentist names that are thrown out, but uh, they're all uh, people that I work with as well. So I'm curious about when you first sat down as a, as a dental assistant, the first day that you're with Dr. Yoon, and so your sophomore year of Northwestern, and now you're, I mean, it's, it's not a normal situation for somebody to be sitting knee to knee with another person and then delivering, you know, medical care or dental care to somebody. So do you remember what your first thoughts were when you, when you sat down in like sure. in a clinical situation? Were you like, oh, this is, this is like crazy or this is awesome or where? So no, I was, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. And only because growing up, I was the kid that helped my dad around the house, you know, build furniture, fix things. And even now I like to tinker with stuff. Like I like toys, like I like tinkering with things. Mm -hmm. And so ortho was perfect because it was very mechanical and I was really mm -hmm. good at like putting things together. And so quickly they were training me quickly. And I remember Dr. Rizdalski trained me how to place turbos. He's like, wow, you're good at that. Like I learned really quickly, just sure. picked up the hand stuff and, as I learned ortho, the orthodontist mostly, you know, they're doing the diagnosing and doing the treatment plans, but the assistants really do a lot of the technical things, right? Correct. Yes. And so they taught me how to do all kinds of things and I became very adept at it. And they were quickly pointing out, you have very good hand skills. To me, I didn't know what that meant in dentistry. Sure. Of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, when you're so, not in it. You're right. So they, they just kept encouraging me saying, you've got very good hand skills. You can do this. You should think about dentistry. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I took that gap year and I wasn't doing dentistry, I really missed it. But what I really loved most was the relationship with the patient and the parent and feeling good about the work I was doing and making a difference in someone's life. Yeah. And with orthodontics, you see that right away because of the teeth moving and the shifting and the confidence and the smiles and, yep. and how special it is to get your braces off. And, and so I felt very struggling with, do I continue this path in being a journalism? Am I helping people versus in the dental office, I was really helping someone and making a difference. Well, it's personally. tangible, right? You know, when we do cosmetic dentistry, we can see the way they react. If so, if you're writing right. something, you know, and it, it's nice because as you've done your, your podcast and you've written your stuff, you know that you're getting feedback from people, right? They say, you know, Grace, I really enjoyed your interview. I enjoyed this, right? But it's a different experience, right? It's more tangible. It's more, I think, when, when it's person to person, it's right. there's there's some emotion that's different uh, as nice as it is as it is getting emails or getting you know notes from people you get those hugs right you literally right. get physical hugs right. and you get these emotional hugs right and you see you get to see them often yep so mm -hmm. with ortho you get to see them often but then when they're done they're done and then you don't see them as often yep. but mm -hmm. with what I loved about Simone's and Dr. Fibbinger's practice was with children you see them yearly, you know, every year, like you get to watch them grow up, you get to be a part of their lives. Yep. And that to me was so fulfilling. I really loved that part of dentistry. Let me ask you a question. So for our, for those who are like looking, getting into dentistry and for those who are in dental school now, would you advise that they go and spend time dental assisting and getting Absolutely. into a dental? Yeah. Absolutely. That is the best time spent. And I often tell people who are interested you won't know truly what dentistry is unless you are in the office. And I fortunately had 
the opportunity to work in every single position. <laughs> yeah, and you worked in several practices, which I think is really important also. But they put me at the front. They put me in the back. They mm-hmm. put me, I was taking out the trash, cleaning the toilets, sweeping the lab, you know, pouring up models. I did everything. And back then there weren't really computers. I had to take insurance forms, put it in the typewriter, okay. type it up, mail it out, pull paper charts. And I literally did everything, sterilization, you name it, I did it. Let me explain to our young viewers, um, a typewriter is a thing that's like a computer. (laughs) This is weird, but you're going to actually put a piece of paper inside of it and it has ink and you hit the same sort of keyboard and you get a piece of paper out that would be like, you know, something like this that I have (laughs) typing on it. So that's what a typewriter is for far you. Google it. <laughs> Ask Alexa. <laughs> Ask Alexa. Go on YouTube. They'll show you how a typewriter, how the Corona, how the Smith Corona worked. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, I see, I, I, I was fortunate. I got to teach at Marquette Dental School for about 25 years. And so I had a lot of um, connection with young dentists. And one of the things that I, I would really advise is get into dental offices, get into different dental offices, see how they're running, get the different aspects, pull back the curtain a little bit, so, you know, get up in the front, get in the back and do all the little things and understand how a dental practice runs because it is a yes. business, which is yes. what we're going to lead to in a little bit with your uh, DMID. Yes. I said that wrong. It's MDID. I went DMID. So sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> in your consulting life, then you're looking back and you're sort of missing this interaction with, with people. Were you challenged to go to dental school? Like, were you like, yes, I'm going to do it? Or eh, let me let me throw out some feelers and see if it works. Where, where were you with that? No, then I was gung-ho, I'm doing this. Doing I was committed. It. I was That's 100% right. committed and really fought hard to get to where I wanted to be. Again, I'm not a good test taker. I'm not in Mensa. This isn't coming natural to me. Well, if you were in Mensa, you wouldn't be on this podcast. Right, right. (laughs) That goes without saying. But I mean, I, in my brain, thought dentists and doctors were brilliant academically, and and I wasn't that student. And so I fought really hard, and general chem, bio, it didn't really come naturally to me. The only thing that I loved and enjoyed of those academic classes, and I'm saying this to all the students that are listening, I only got A's in anatomy. And organic chemistry. Why do you that think that was? I don't even know. I'm, well, for anatomy, it was the dissection, figuring out how things work. Again, I like to figure out how things work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in a puzzle. And I think organic chemistry is a puzzle. Oh, for sure. So What I me, remember of it. Right. So for me, that was the way my brain thought. So mm-hmm. I was good at those things. Yeah. But then you put, give me, you know, something else that I wasn't so great at it. But I didn't let that deter me to get through dental school. So once I started interviewing for dental schools, I narrowed it down to Maryland and Case Western. And you have to go visit the schools and you have to visit the students, do your research and figure out what it is you want. And back then when I was doing it, the research, the research I found was Maryland was a very um, big school on clinicians, like putting Mm -hmm. you into the clinical area quickly, like Mm -hmm. pushing you clinically. And there were some schools who pushed you with research. I went to Michigan and Michigan was a big research school. So we, we, that was a lot of our education. So I really wanted to be the clinician. I was like, I know I can do that. I know I have the skill sets to be an amazing clinician. If 
I'm trained correctly. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the school, I walked in and I just knew I had to be there. It was that feeling of this is where I'm supposed to come. And I did my interviews and the squeaky wheel kind of gets the oil. That's that's just the way my parents raised me. So I would call the admissions office. I was like, did you see my chart yet? <laughs> did you well, receive my I, I, stuff? I think this- you know, I think this is a good point. And I did the same thing when I was at Michigan. I wanted to go to Michigan Dental School. And so I would go and visit the academic advisor, the the admissions director all the time. Don Strachan yes. was his name. And I'd be like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Don, Dennis Hartley here. I know I won't be the first one in, but um, are you going to be able to find room for me? And I think, so for those of you who are listening, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. So you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to pester. No. But you want to make sure that they know that you are you're in it, that you're going to do what it takes to be successful. And right. they, they need to know that because right. it's really hard for these admission directors. They get so many applicants and on you paper, stand out. everyone looks the same. So yeah, right. you have to you have to put yourself out there. And it's scary. It is scary, but you you have to. And the thing is, if if you think about it, admissions to any type of thing, whether it's college or dental or medical or whatever, there's thousands of applicants. And how do you stand out? Because everyone's going to be basically a good student. Everyone's going to have the same, you know, I did tennis, I played piano. So for me, it was being one year out of college. I went back and said, I'm serious about this. Like I already took a gap year. Mm-hmm. I am going to be a professional, mature student. I would like to attend your school. I'm very interested. I know I'm out of state. However, this is the first dental school in the world. And that to me is a privilege to be able to attend this school. And I wanted to make it very clear. So I did call a few times. And the day I got the letter of acceptance, that was so great. And it was my first time living away from home too. Mm-hmm. And I remember Cecile being like, be mindful. Like Seal wanted me to go to UIC. Sure. Cause she, local to Chicago. Right. And she's like, cause that's where you're networking. That's where yep. your network is. People know you. That's where you establish roots. And part of the industry is networking, establishing re- relationship with your colleagues. Isn't you that go, the truth? Isn't that the truth? She's like, oh, you go so. to Maryland and try to come back. It might be harder for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I know Seal. I get it. But I'm like, but you're here. <laughs> yeah, one person. One person's a network. <laughs> right. So I was like, I know you. So so anyway, I took the chance and I, I went best experience ever, still in contact with my professors there, still email them, still see them if they're in the area and loved my education. And so fast forward, coming back to Chicago, I missed home. I wanted to go to children's. But when I applied... Dr. Gerardo was then the chairman. So yeah. immediately I was like, you know me, you already no connection. Yeah. I'm like, you already know how I work, how, how you know, I was like, I was responsible. I showed up on time. I did everything you told me to. And I am, you've trained me before I want in, I am all in, you know, let, let, let's take course, a step back. I'm, I'm curious about when you're in dental school, because for for those who are looking to get in or those who are in, everyone has a different experience in dental school. I went to Michigan in the 80s and I tell you, it was it, it was rugged. It was, um, it's the old school style of teaching that fortunately I don't think is very prevalent any longer. 
And I would tell you, none of my classmates will look back fondly at the experience of dental school. I look back fondly at what I learned in the dentist that I was able to become and the connections I made with my classmates. I love that. But dental school is pretty painful from a lot of our perspectives. But yes. I think in the newer newer generation, things are getting um, are, are much better. And I think it's more collegial. I think things like the white coat ceremonies have been really helpful to give dignity to young dentists, and that wasn't really afforded back in the old days, you know? So when you were in dental school, and and I'm curious, because we're going to get into the mommy dentist in business, but I'm curious when you walked in, what was your class ratio of uh, females to males when you, when you walked in? Was it fairly even? Was it more highly male, do you recall? From my recollection, I don't recall, but I, I do want to say it was at least between 30 and 40% women. Okay, so it was... So uh, we had quite a few, and... For me, my experience was hard, like you said, where I was trained by a lot of Navy dentists, sure. just being yeah. in Maryland yeah. and in Apple, like in that area. And so we had a very strict, rigid program as well. And it was hard. And again, all the students listening out there. My first year after winter break, when I came back, one of my professors said, I'm surprised you're back. She said, I didn't think you were going to come back. It's hard. I struggled. I struggled with the academics. Yeah. The only thing I was good at was lab. That's what saved me as well. And yeah. The didactics so I, were not my, uh, were not my special, you know, were not my the forte. The didactics was not my forte. And, and the thing is, Dr. Sam Noon saved a whole jar of teeth for me that he extracted. I showed up to school with this huge jar of teeth from centrals to canines to premolars to molars. And it, it was the coolest experience, but I struggled and where I shined was clinic. That's where yep. I shined. And I even finished all my requirements a semester early. Oh, that's great. And so that, that was really neat. But do I you remember, do you remember what your first dental procedure was that you did on a living patient? Dentures. Okay. Right. Uh, that was my first, first patient needed dentures. And he was an author of a book and he needed teeth to smile for his book. Oh, fantastic. His name How was rewarding Richard. was that? How rewarding was, was that? It was so rewarding. And he says to me, and he was the sweetest man alive. He says to me, have you done this before? <laughs> and I said, looked up, I, I looked dead in the eye and I said, yes, upstairs. <laughs> Unfaked. Well, what I used to tell my students was when people ask you that, you say, I've done a number of these. Now, the number could be zero. And it does, you know, you just, so, you know, you don't have to tell the whole truth. You just have to give a partial truth. I've done a number of these. And if you've done two, then you laugh. You say, well, I've done more than one of these. And you've only done two. So, but that's okay. So you do have to embellish a little bit to get through the early days. So me being just so honest, I said, yep upstairs and lab, <laughs> but any, but he didn't care. He was totally fine. But that, that was just, that was really super fun. I, I, I think dental patients themselves are angels talking about angels earlier. Oh, so the, the things they let us do to them. Grace, when you were in your undergrad dental school, did you know you wanted to go into pediatrics? Was your, was that sort of where you were, where you're shooting for right from the beginning or were you thinking also no. ortho? Or I was thinking you... ortho. Okay. I was thinking ortho, but then again, Cecile being ortho and then her brother Tom being perio and dad being general, they were like, you should do pedo. Because they saw how you interacted with the children? Right. They they said you were really good with children, but also because they were like, you know, 
there's a ton of us in different specialties. You should do pedo. And, yeah. and I felt like I was already maxed out with ortho. Like I felt like I already knew it. Like I, and during dental school, I worked in the private faculty practice for the chairman of ortho at Maryland, mm. Dr. David. So he wanted me, I volunteered my hours and I even got an award at graduation and I did ortho for the faculty practice. I worked with the residents. I mean, I knew how to put brackets on better than the residents. I was teaching the residents. And so then- Was was your thought then then, hey, I can do pedo. And if I want to do ortho, I already have the skills to do ortho. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that's what I thought. And I figured I would at some point work with Cecile. But by the time I got back to Chicago, she was already selling her practice moving to the East Coast. So it never really panned out that Mm. way. But I honestly didn't feel the need to learn more ortho. Sure. Makes sense. I was exposed to then was the OR. As for for pediatric dentistry. For pediatric dentistry. And that just blew my mind. I mean, general anesthesia and surgery. I was so excited. I was. Oh, interesting. I was like, this is so cool. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the OR. Oh, interesting. Because we did a bit of that when I did my residency on Mount Sinai on the west side of Chicago. We saw a lot of kids that needed, you know, tons of dentistry and they needed to have general anesthesia. So we did a lot in the OR back in the day. And I had sort of a different feeling about it. I was sort of like, I felt sad about it. And while, you know, it's, it's a great service, I mean, it's unbelievable because these kids are in pain, they have abscesses, they have multiple teeth that need to be removed, they need pulp stainless steel crowns, they need the, the whole shebang, right? Um, but I was, I had sort of the opposite um, feeling. I'm like, I, I like the fact I got to do a lot of dentistry, but I really felt bad. I, I didn't love the fact that we that these kids were in such need. And I had a hard time with yeah. that. So it's interesting yeah. to hear your perspective. And I get it. I get it because you get to do a lot of dentistry and really help in a really high level. High level, but also hone your skills. I mean, the oh, kids sure. are sleeping and not moving. Yeah, so that's you're, nice. You're, you're picking up speed. You're, you have three cases a day. Sometimes you have 12, 13 hour days in yeah. the OR. Yeah. But you are really learning dentistry, like your dentistry. You do and, a lot perfecting it. And so when you're doing it live on a live patient, you can do it confidently. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously they're moving around, but you don't have to get second guess your clinical skills. Right. You know what to do. You know what to do. So that, that was really great. And I mean, and going back to dental school, had I not done pedo, I I really loved oral surgery, but it was not committed to the length of training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I looked forward to oral surgery so much. I loved going to oral surgery rotation and I had the best teachers there. Ah, that's great. Were, that makes yes, all the difference. Yes, they were intimidating. And yes, they yelled at you. And yes, they, you know, embarrassed sure. you. It's high stress, high stress it's, environment. It was a very high stress environment. But my dad was a Marine. So I was like kind of used to like that disciplinary like mm-hmm. approach. And so I wasn't afraid of it, you know. So when I showed up, I they didn't have to handle me with cape gloves on. Like I was like, yes, sir whatever they threw at me, I didn't take it personally. And I really was taught oral surgery really well at Maryland. So when I got to pedo residency at Children's and we were putting kids to sleep, we were also, again, we are the specialists to seeing children, but we also needed to see the special needs children. And in a hospital setting, you're seeing all the special needs children. For sure, yeah. Up until 18, 19 right. as well. And maybe and so, even beyond, right? Because it's, it's our, 
it's hard to find restorative dentists or general dentists who, who, yes. who will treat that population because there's, exactly. there's so many different demands. Exactly. And we had to extract adult teeth and I was very comfortable doing it. And we had an oral surgeon, I think his name was Dr. Mark Olson. Um, he's out in Carroll Stream. I can't remember his last name. It's been so long. But that Alexis Olson? No, Alexis Olson is Northwestern downtown. Northwestern, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we had another, he I had another attending at Lurie's and he only came so often. So we had to schedule these patients who needed extractions on the days he was there. Mm-hmm. And so it was a busy day for him. He was running from procedure suite to procedure suite. Sure. Doing these extractions with the multiple residents going on. One day he came in, I was with my attending and I said, I'm going to take these teeth out. He's like, are you sure? I said, yes, I can do it. So go ahead do it. You know? And so I was taking these teeth out. Dr. Mark walks in. He's like, I'm here. And I'm like, I'm done. And he said, what do you mean you're done? And I said, I just did it. He's like, he was so excited. He was like, I am so happy you did this. And I'm like, I didn't go to dental school not to learn how to pull teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I was just like, and I'm not here to not learn either. If I was in the middle of pulling a tooth and something went wrong, I knew you were here. I knew you would be here to help me. Yep. But I'm not going to say no and shy away and back off because I'm afraid. And I tell residents all the time, this is when you are supposed to make your mistakes. And this is when you're supposed to learn. Well, I think that's the thing. I think sometimes people can be so afraid of making mistakes that they, they'll not step forward. Right. And I, you know, one thing you've talked about, and though you haven't used a word, is you've had a ton of mentorship. And I think that's a critical aspect for when you're going through from de- dental school, pre-dental school, all the way through as a dentist, is finding people to mentor you and, Absolutely. and, and learn as, uh, as you're going through the process. Absolutely. And I encourage you to find that mentor, that teacher that you click with. You don't click with everyone. That's okay. There's millions of personalities out there. But find the couple of doctors in your school or in your residence that you click with. You ask them a bajillion questions. Yep. And you they are the, that's why they are there. And teachers are saints as well because they don't really get paid much for this, you know. Oh, they don't. And, no. and they could very well be in private practice making a lot of money. And they don't have to be there if they didn't want to be. So that is how you learn. Mentorship is important, but mentorship is important all throughout life, any stage of life, even now, even now. And and I remember one thing Nancy told me, Nancy Hajawi told me when I was a resident, she said, Grace, you if you're going to have kids and you're going to get married someday, you want to practice and live. And where you practice, you want to live close by and be in proximity because most often mothers are the primary caregivers of the children. So if anything happens, you want to be close by. It's true. And Nancy did not follow that rule. So for those who don't know Nancy, Nancy practiced with me on Winnetka and she lived away. But that was a challenge for sure. I think right. I think that's really great advice for, you know, we'll talk about moms and moms in dentistry in just a yeah. bit. But I think that's really great advice for lots of, and you know, the world's changing, right? I think, uh, and we'll talk about this, males are becoming more sensitive and more caring or becoming greater caregivers, but it still ultimately sort of falls on the mom's responsibility far too often. And I think that's great advice from Nancy. Yes. And I took that to heat and I really looked up to people and I took everyone's advice and I said, there are people in your lives that tell you something and you can take it and receive it and do what you want. But the good advice, you really should consider it because they're not, they're not telling it to you to ruin your life. 
they're telling it to you from their experience. In that experience, you can either just go and gain all that experience on your own, right. or you can, and you know, for me, for a lot of times I would hear it and I'd still have to, I'd have to prove them right. You know, sure. I'd have to go through sure. it and say, well, yeah, they, they were right. But, right. and then I only had to do it once, you know, I didn't have to do it five <laughs> times. It's like, yes, that's exactly what they said would happen. And I won't do that anymore. Right. And so it did save me some, some learning, but I, with for me, and as we talked about off air, and for those who've listened before, I joined Dr. M- Buddy Mopper's practice. Buddy was a pediatric dentist in the Chicago area, the North suburbs. And when I joined his practice, Nancy Hijawi, who you're just uh, referring to, I used to call her Nopra, by the way, the, the Nancy <laughs> Oprah, because um, N- Nancy just had great wisdom. She was very, very yes. Oprah-like in her, in her thoughts. And so I joined a practice that had a pediatric dentist uh, full-time, and we were doing cosmetic dentistry and sharing a space, and it was a very interesting dynamics. But I, I, I have to ask you this, because I want to start talking about mommy, dentist, and business, but I want to ask about, it seemed to me, it seemed to me, and we do a lot of aesthetics on kids, and I will say this, anyone who loves doing cosmetic dentistry, one of the things that's been really successful in my practice is reaching out to my pediatric dentists and helping them with some of these challenging cases, peg laterals, congenitally missing laterals, malformed teeth, uh, fractured incisors. Traditional, typical pediatric practice is seen you know, more about volume, right? There's a lot of kids, there's a lot of action. They've got three hygienists that are running. They got a lot going on. It's, I think, difficult to spend an hour and a half doing a specific procedure on, on a youngster where that's the nature of our practice in cosmetics. You know, for me to have a seven hour patient is typical to do two hours to do bonding, do layered bonding. That's sort of what we do. And so my biggest referral is actually pediatric dentists. Um, and so for anyone listening out there, you want to do cosmetic dentistry, get the skills and then reach out to your orthodontist or reach out to your pediatric dentist and they will, they will help you build your practice. And once you start working on the kids, well, guess who else has peg laterals? Well, mom or dad did. And yeah. who else has a bad smile? Because of that because it was done you know maybe not ideally and it's what really what blew up my practice was just working with nancy first and then dr simone malou and other other pediatric dentists in the community who's trusted me to work on the patients so i wanted to ask though and i apologize i sort of got off on that little tangent it seemed to me working with nancy and others that the challenge wasn't as much the kids as it was the parents is that is that my appreciation or now what, what can you say about that? I'm I'm for it's those who are true. going into pediatrics or even into dentistry and are gonna be working on kids, tell me about the interaction between the provider and the parent of the kid you're working on. That's a very loaded question. It is, and, yeah, and I purposely a, but you're not practicing sure. now, so you can be maybe sure. a little more forthright, right? Absolutely. And as I formulate my thoughts on how to answer this, trying to be diplomatic, yeah, a politically PC way, but I, I, I have to say, and you're a mom, but you're a, you're a parent, right? I'm a, I'm parent. a parent. I'm a how, parent also. There's been a big shift, having practiced now for a very long time in treating patients from a dental assistant standpoint and a doctor standpoint. It really depends on the generation in in the parenting styles. There are many parenting styles, for sure, and. Now my oldest patient is like 30 and, and she wouldn't leave me. And I said, right. but she had no problems, right? She was really healthy. So I said, yep. as, as soon as you have a problem, you're going. And I've noticed the parenting styles shifting. So my older patients that are in their late 20s, when I knew them way back when they were children long, long ago, yep. the parents would drop them off and leave. 
Right. I, I heard in an interview you did, you were talking about being a latchkey kid, you know, and I was as well. And you made a point, you'd be arrested today if, right. if we treated our kids like we were treated, right? Right, right. And so <laughs> Social it was, service would be at your door so right. fast. DCFS would be like, you're gone. Exactly. I'm coming to get your kid. And so the the chil- the children were just dropped off and they'd, they'd say, okay, Dr. Yum, just call me. You have my number. And I, I need to go shopping for groceries or I need to go right. pick up the other kid at soccer and I'll be back. So it was so different. But then as the mothers got younger and younger, I noticed a different shift. And I'm not saying Gen Z, millennial or whatever, but as the mothers got younger, the parenting styles were shifting, right? So then it was the parent that was a nervous Nelly, like everything made them nervous and everything was a question. And then it was also then the whole shift in, in nutrition in America, carbs are bad. Everything's organic. What's going on in the mouth? And then also you, as dentists and doctors, we have noticed an increase in peanut allergies, mm-hmm. you know, sure. latex allergies, for sure, autism. In my scope, in my vision of what I've seen in the past 20-something years, every 10, 5 years, maybe there's a shift, there's a change. And so there are parents who are justifiably nervous because their kid might have an anaphylactic reaction. For sure. Yep. So that's warranted. I get that. But the management of the parent oftentimes is just as challenging as managing a patient's behavior in the dental chair and doing the dental procedure. So as pediatric dentists, we're having to manage a lot more, right? And you got to do it at the same time. That's the issue. You do it at the same it? time. Right? You got right. the parent sitting here holding the kid's hand. Right, right, right. right. And then you on build Google, On Google asking you, what, what, what material right. are you using there? Right, right, right. And they think that they know everything. But what I have learned and what I tell my associates is you have to train the parent on how to treat you. I think that's a great, that's great advice. So you have to lay down the law in a gentle and firm way like, this is how I do things. And if you aren't comfortable, then I have to refer you to a different pediatric dentist. So if you can't do it the way I want it done and the way I do it safely for your child, then you need to go somewhere else. And that's okay. For example, nitrous oxide or restorative patients, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, a child's behavior will be skewed when a parent is in the room. And I tell a parent, you leave your child starting kindergarten, age five, at school, they separate from you for many hours. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. They are only with me for 30 minutes. You can have that separation, but you need to trust me. I'm not going to force your child or do anything that they don't want to do. And if we need you, we will come get you. How how did you find the parents generally responded to that? So generally they say, okay, and I have to reassure them. You know, it's the communication. It's reassuring the parent, reassurance, 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 saying, I have a window. I'm going to shut the door, but there's a window and you can look through the window if you feel that you need to be right there. You cannot be literally physically in the room breathing on top of me. And I tell them, when parents are in the room with me, I get distracted because guess what? You ask me 10,000 questions and then guess what? Your child is on nitrous oxide longer than they have to be because I have to stop and answer your question. And then I can't get my work done. And I was like, if you want me to do the best clinical work for your child, you have to leave me alone. 
It's so interesting to me that the parents want to be in the treatment room and they would never be in a treatment room if their kid was getting scoped for a knee injury. You know, and like you said, they, they don't join them at school. But for some reason, there is a sense that they need to be there holding their kid's hand. And the anxiety of the parent heightens the anxiety of the kid. And it exactly. just becomes even more of a, a challenge. Yeah. And th- this is, and truly, I, I mean, I love children and I'm blessed to have one. And I, the group that I've really become really fascinated by and love treating the the young adults, the high school age, yes. a group that I never would have liked until I started getting to understand a little love bit more of the emotions, love right? Them. But it is really, I think, getting the parent to separate to allow you to be able to have the one-on-one relationship that you need to be able to do the dentistry at your highest level. It's so critical, but boy, it's such a challenge. I, I, I applaud you all on your daily, on your daily events of man, trying to manage that. It is. But after a while, you know, once you build rapport and they trust you. It is all about trust. It's all about trust, you know, and it could be even in the same office with different providers, right? So I think that one way or another, and it got to the point where it was weird for me where I own the practice, but it got to the point where there are new patients that I didn't even know, but they were seeing the associates. Mm-hmm, and if sure. the associate was sick and I filled in, they'd be like, who are you? Yeah. Oh, I've seen <laughs> same thing in my practice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the guy with the gray hair. I'm like, yeah. I'm no one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. No, same thing. Yeah. I get that. All right. Well, listen, thanks dental line trainers. This has been super for me, super interesting talking to grace. Cause well, I love talking dentistry and a truly pediatric dentist, uh, you, you, you have a special place in heaven. We're going to pick up our next session, our second part of the interview, when we're going to talk about mommy's dentist and business, MD, MDID, MDIB. MDIB. MDIBs. MDIBs. That's right. MDIBs.com. MDIBs. All right. So check us out on part two of our interview and look forward to seeing you at the next session. So Grace, thanks. And we'll pick this up on our next podcast. Perfect. Hey, Dental Online Trainers, thanks for listening. Look, if you enjoyed our conversation with Grace, and I hope you don't mind the little little segue we took down memory lane with some of our common colleagues and influences in dentistry. It was really fun listening to some of the names that Grace brought up, and they were very influential in me and the dentistry that I got to do and the practice that I'm in. But listen, look forward to part two of our conversation where we talk more about MDIB or Mommy Dentist and Business and Grace's inspiration to begin that new business. So look, if you love our Surecast, please tell your friends. And you know what? Send them a link. And don't forget to give us that coveted five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Finally, if you're not a member of Dental Online Training, check us out at dothandson.com for information about our live virtual courses. And by the way, we have our CPR for the Warren Dentition course coming up at the end of March. I think it's March 24th and 25th, 2022. Um, We have our recorded hands-on courses, so you can do these courses in the comfort of your own practice on your time, on your schedule, at your pace. We have our blogs, our mini tips, our recorded webinars, and, and so much more. Well, listen, until next time, I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, yours for better dentistry. Thanks so much for listening to the ShareCast. If you are not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe to our ShareCast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're loving the ShareCast, share it with your colleagues. And please rate it and leave us a review. Also, if you want access to fantastic clinical, managerial, and leadership tips to help you in your practice of dentistry, check us out at dothandson.com or find me on Instagram at HartleyDDS.
This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry. Thank you.